Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad that you're back this week and ready to study the Bible with us. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain what we do. We just answer Bible questions. Uh, we answer people's questions from the Bible, I guess is a good way to say it. Uh, there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of your screen. You can use those anytime. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you'd like to talk, like us to talk about. And uh, we answer specific questions about a verse. We talk about doctrines that might or might not be in the Bible. And we talk about life and current events and what the Bible might have to say about some of those situations that you might be in. So if you're looking for what the Bible says about something, we'd like to help you know your Bible a little bit better. So use phone number, website, anytime you direct this program. And I and Toby Levering answer those questions. Hi, Toby. Yes, we do. Glad, Hi, Steve. glad he's back and ready to go. And uh, we got some good ones today, one about fire baptism and one about Satan and all kinds of good questions coming up. So we always start, however, with one for our viewing audience. So let's get that one done. How many apostles were there? How many apostles? And I'll just warn you, it's a little bit of a trick question. So think a little bit harder on that and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. See if you can count all the apostles. And speaking of apostles, I think you got one about, about sure. them. Uh, Someone asked, what was the role of the apostles in the church? Uh, well, I've said before on this program that a definition of an apostle, you can uh, simplify it down to uh, holding up a penny and it's one cent. And that's how I've always considered the apostles were the men that were selected by Jesus. Of course, originally there was 12. I'm not going to jump ahead to the trivia question. Um, but the, the, they were selected by Jesus, and uh, they were sent out. Of course, after he had trained them and walked with them, they were his disciples. And uh, they were sent to spread the news of Jesus. And after he was resurrected in Acts chapter 2, they were the ones who uh, were responsible for the leadership, the training, um, uh, the mission work of the early church, both to the Jews and the Gentiles. Many of them uh, established churches. They supported churches, encouraged them, uh, wrote the uh, letters that we have in the New Testament. Of course, we probably don't have all of them, but uh, all of those that were, uh, many, much of the New Testament were, was written by them. And so uh, they were the, uh, of course, Jesus is the foundation and then the apostles, if we think of just about the the uh, layer upon the foundation, and base their teaching and their instruction to the church based on what Jesus had shown them and had taught them, and then they then uh, shared that with others. So they were the uh, right next to the foundation of the early church, uh, and we know that the apostles had to be a firsthand witness of Jesus and his entire ministry. 
and uh, that was one of the qualifications when they began looking for a replacement uh, for Judas after he, uh, of course, uh, committed you know, suicide after um, denying the Lord and... and um, uh, <laughs> why am I missing the word here? Uh, um, Anyway, what Judas did. <laughs> um, so let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. They were the early leaders of the church and sent out to do the work that Jesus commissioned them to do. Alrighty, question to verse here, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And viewer wants to know, does that verse really mean that things will never get so bad in our lives that we can't overcome them? Well, all right, we'll check that verse in just a moment. But uh, first, let me preface it by saying this. Uh, that verse is written to Christians. Uh, it's not written to everybody in the world. It's written to Christians. Uh, Christians have promises uh, that other people don't have, quite frankly. Uh, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. We're children of God. And so when God makes a promise to His children, uh, we have to understand that. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is one of those passages. In fact, we're going to read it and we're going to look for three promises in this verse that uh, God gives to Christians. Paul wrote this. He said, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right, let's leave that up and go back and find the three promises. The first one is, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So that means... Whatever you're tempted with, somebody else has been tempted with that before. Uh, temptations are all similar. Uh, Satan uses the same tricks all the time, so it's not unique to you. Second promise, uh, God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God knows us. He knows our weaknesses, and he will not let Satan tempt us more than we can handle. And the third promise with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. So whatever Satan throws at us, God will provide a way that we can get out of it uh, so that we will be able to endure any temptation. So that's what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, pretty black and white and clear, uh, that God knows us, he knows our weaknesses, he limits Satan, uh, he won't let him tempt us more than we personally are able to handle. And I think that's a key part of it because all of us have different weaknesses. All of us have different uh, temptations that bother us. Uh, there's things that bother me that don't bother you and vice versa. Something that uh, might tempt you uh, very, very much wouldn't bother me at all. I'm not interested in that. So we're all different. God knows that and he limits Satan to uh, how he can tempt us and he always provides a way of escape. So yes, that verse says that uh, temptations will never get so bad that we can't overcome them. Now, it's not talking about everything in life. There's suffering and sickness and uh, 
things that we might or might not call a temptation. Uh, this verse is specifically about Satan tempting us. And he certainly uses suffering and all that to weaken us and try to tempt us. But uh, this verse is about temptation. It promises that to Christians. And yes, I believe that verse is 100% true. And I rely on those three promises. Uh, you get in a situation sometime that you say there's no way to get out of this without sinning. There is a way out. <laughs> you can find it if you just look around. So rely on that promise. It's a good one. Absolutely is. Uh, a viewer asks a question regarding a verse in Luke 3.16. In Luke 3.16, where it talks about Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire, what is the fire? Okay. Um, well, there's. let's first start by looking at this verse and just with a little bit of context uh, by looking at verse 16 and 17. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Um, there are um, different types of baptism. And so uh, viewers asking uh, about this, what's the difference here? What is fire, baptism by fire? <laughs> uh, sounds pretty scary, actually. And if you, I included verse 17 to show that baptism of fire typically means a judgment, uh, a scene of judgment. And that's what he's talking about, Jesus, here. Um, you may hear somebody say, well, you don't have any right to judge me. And uh, from a, a theological perspective, uh, that's correct. Only the Lord has the right to do the judging. I believe what John here is saying, and if you look in even more context, you see he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, people who did a lot of judging. And John's saying uh, he has the ultimate authority. Uh, he's not only going to bring uh, the Holy Spirit, which of course he did and gave to the apostles uh, on the day of Pentecost, and... Uh, would uh, reveal himself and t say that he was the Lord and prove that with miracles. But he also says he can baptize with fire. He, in other words, he has the right to judge, and not only the right, but the ability, and he's going to do it someday. And so this is speaking to the authority of Jesus. Um, John um, the Baptist baptized with water and the reason he did that was to call the people to repent, to turn their hearts, to prepare the way for Jesus coming in, bringing in his kingdom, uh, which he would do through the church. Um, Jesus, or, um, when Jesus and the apostles uh, taught people and converted them to Christianity, uh, we know according to Acts chapter 2, they were baptized uh, for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that's true not only for them, but even today. One is immersed, buried in water baptism. And the reason we do that is because we believe what John said, that Jesus can baptize with fire, that there will be a day in which he uh, separates the wheat from the chaff, which he burns that which is uh, not uh, gathered into his barn. So um, it's, a, it's a picture here. It's not a literal thing. It's a symbolic um, baptism of fire, but it has a very important meaning of the judgment and the power and the authority 
of Jesus Christ. And uh, judgment of fire uh, does await any who are not in Christ on the final day. So it's a picture. It's also a warning. Hope that helps. Okay. Thank you. A lot of people misunderstand that and tie it into the tongues of fire mm -hmm. that were over, yeah, yeah. over the apostles. In fact, there's at least one denomination, small denomination that calls themselves fire baptized mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Uh, I saw that on a church sign one time and yeah. I thought, man, <laughs> I, I don't want any part of that fire baptism. I, I, I don't want to be fire baptized. I can, some people get nervous in water baptism. Can you imagine trying to uh, do a fire baptism? No, no oh, thank you. Man, no we, thank we, you. Yeah. We'll pass on that. All right, let me take this moment and visit with you about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we answer a few questions each week, but uh, I'm sure that at the end of each program, you've got a lot more questions still left. So that's why we advocate home Bible study. That's why we've got some free materials that we're happy to send to you and uh, let you study the Bible at home. Uh, there's a number of lessons that we have. We put this one on the screen each week because it's the first one and the, the one that we start people out with. There's eight lessons in it and it's just a good overview of the Bible, good way to get familiar with your Bible. And after you've been through these eight lessons, hopefully you've got kind of a regular habit of Bible study formed and are ready to keep on studying the Bible. So uh, we've got those ready to go. They're absolutely free of charge. We even pay the postage for you. Uh, all you have to do is spend a little bit of time, sit down with your lesson and uh, read what it says, read the parts of the Bible it says, and then answer a few simple questions to make sure you were uh, paying attention there, and then send it back to us and we'll score it for you and send it back with lesson number two and you just keep going right through them and you'll learn a lot about your Bible. So if you want to know your Bible a little bit better, let us help you. Phone number and website on the screen. Uh, use those anytime. Just say, I'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, question about denominations. And a viewer wonders, why are there so many? And this is one of the biggest questions the world has, I think. They look at Christianity and they don't understand why Christians can't seem to get along. Uh, you open up the yellow pages and there's hundreds and hundreds of different denominations. And the word denominate means to name uh, and separate yourself from others uh, with a specific name is what that means. Uh, we use that for money. Uh, there's a $5 bill and a $10 bill. Those are denominations. A five is different from a 10. Uh, so we look in the phone book and there's Methodists and Baptists and uh, all kinds of Christians with denominated names. So uh, that's what it is. The viewer wants to know, why are there so many? Where did where, that come from? Uh, well, Jesus didn't want there to be many. Jesus wanted us to be unified as his followers and we've messed that up pretty bad. We, uh, we don't do too well at that. Uh, as to why, I think one reason is that there are demonic teachings, uh, men who start a teaching specifically to break up the body of Christ. First Timothy 4.1 talks about that. And Paul said, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 
Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So I think through the centuries uh, there have been some times when somebody teaches a doctrine that Satan likes and draws people away from the pure Christian faith. Now, I don't think that's where most denominations come from, but I think that's a, a happening. I think most denominations, my theory on it is it comes because of our flesh. Uh, let's read a verse about the flesh and then we'll try to talk about this a little bit. Galatians 5 and verse 17 says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. All right. The desires of the flesh are different from the desires of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, God, want us to be one. He said that's how they'll know that you're one, that you love each other, that you're unified. Uh, be one church. Uh, Paul wrote about that to the Corinthians. He said, don't have any divisions. Be unified. Have the same mind and the same heart. Uh, but the flesh doesn't go along with that. The flesh wants to separate. The flesh wants to divide. Uh, let's say people are meeting together, worshiping together as one group of Christians, and somebody disagrees with somebody else. And instead of settling that disagreement, the flesh says, I've got to be right. And Brother A says, i got to be right. And Brother B says, i got to be right. And all of a sudden, you have two different groups. And one of them picks a name and denominates themselves away from the rest of the group. And now you've got two denominations where there used to be one group of Christians. So I think that's where it comes from, the flesh. Uh, we want to be right. We, some people want to control other people. There's all sorts of desires of the flesh that cause us not to work things out, not to be unified, uh, not to teach the same things. So all sorts of doctrinal reasons are given, but I think at the bottom line it's the flesh uh, pulls us apart and creates denominations. And we've got another question coming up in a little while. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about a solution to that perhaps. All right, Toby, what's you, your viewer after here? Uh, one of our audience would like to know, do the scriptures give any information on who Satan is? And the answer to that is yes, in the affirmative. Uh, all the way throughout the story of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation in so many parts of the Bible, uh, if Satan's not, if he's not mentioned directly, which he is many times, uh, you can certainly see his influence, his power, and uh, the way in which he tries to work to thwart the plan of God. Now, uh, most people, they want to know about Satan. Well, where did he come from? And how did he, you know, was he a fallen angel? Was there war in heaven? The Bible really doesn't give us a very ultra clear picture. We know he's a fallen angel. He's a... Uh, uh, of the spirit world, but how that happened, uh, when you look at the verses that people point to in context, it seems it might actually be talking about an earthly king instead of uh, Satan himself. There could be a double meaning, but it, it's debatable at best. Uh, regardless of uh, the origins that we're a little bit, you know, the Bible just doesn't fully reveal, uh, 
He is absolutely clear on who he is and warning especially Christians to be wary of his influence. Uh, I put several scriptures here on the screen. You can uh, take a picture of this screen or you can uh, study these on your own. <clears throat> uh, hopefully these will, just a few, give you a, an adequate, uh, accurate picture of uh, who Satan is. Matthew chapter 13 Verse 39, and we can see this, that he is our enemy. He wants to do us harm. In fact, uh, Jesus, not in Matthew 13, but uh, he says he, he wants to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, that's what he, that's his whole purpose. He's against us. In John chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 44, uh, he says, uh, describes him this way as a liar, the father of lies, and a murderer. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And we can see that uh, even from the fall of man, how he uh, lied and deceived to uh, get Adam and Eve to disobey uh, their father God who created them. Um, John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus described him as the prince of this world. Uh, when you look around, you watch the news, read the paper, or uh, engage anything, it's clear to see that this world uh, is governed by uh, certainly a dark force. And uh, I think Prince of this World well describes him. Um, Peter referred to him as a, a ferocious lion, seeking someone to devour. Uh, in fact, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's, he's not just looking to do, uh, he's not just evil, but he's looking to destroy uh, anyone that he can through his evil plans. And then all the way at the, the end of the Bible in Revelation, uh, he's very clearly pointed out there. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, an evil angel. Revelation chapter 12, uh, kind of like how it calls it that the accuser and uh, that ancient serpent. Uh, he's uh, referring all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. He's been in the story all the time. And, and, and though he ha is throughout the story, a common theme throughout the story is how God always uh, wins. Good triumphs over evil. God triumphs over Satan. So you can look those verses up at home and get a little clearer picture, but uh, be careful about focusing too much on Satan. Uh, it is piques the curiosity, uh, but the ultimate message of the Bible is that Satan loses and loses in a big way uh, be, uh, because of Jesus. All right. We had a question a moment ago about denominations and why there are so many. Uh, the follow-up to that question was, what denomination are you? Uh, so I put that as a separate question. Uh, you may see on the screen at the end of the program, the Churches of Christ. Uh, provide this program for you, and we mention that a little bit each week. Uh, that is not a denominational name. Uh, we don't intend it to be. Uh, in some practical ways it is, but names us, and when we go to a different town, we can find a group of Christians who think and study of the Bible like we do, uh, but it's not intended to separate. Uh, it's intended to be a Bible name to unite. In fact, let me just show you a definition off of Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is not always the best source, but then they got this one pretty close. You look up Churches of Christ, and it says, Churches of Christ are autonomous Christian congregations associated with one another through common beliefs and practices. 
They seek to base doctrine and practice on the Bible alone in order to be the church described in the New Testament. That's a pretty good definition. We're autonomous, uh, which means we don't have a headquarters. Each congregation of the Church of Christ governs itself and manages itself. We don't have a headquarters anywhere. Uh, We are united by common beliefs and common practices, uh, but we don't have any headquarters that tells us what to believe and what to do. And the last part there said we seek to just be a New Testament church. And that's one reason we use that name, Churches of Christ. We don't intend it to denominate us, but it's a Bible name. In Romans 16, 16, Paul was writing to the Roman Christians, and he traveled all over the country visiting churches. And so he wrote to the Romans in Romans 16, 16, that all the churches of Christ send you greetings. So that's what he called Christians in those days. They were churches, called out groups of people that belonged to Christ, churches of Christ. So uh, that's the name that we put out in front of the building, so we'll we'll know where we are, but uh, it's not intended to denominate. It's a unifying term, we think, using a Bible term, and that's what we want. Just follow the Bible, and we could be unified. Uh, speaking of Churches of Christ, we always mention a few each week that help us stay on the air. and They're scattered all over the viewing area. And today, let me mention the ones up in South Dakota. If you live up in that neighborhood, uh, there's Mitchell and Watertown and Brookings. are all towns up in that neighborhood that uh, have Churches of Christ, uh, groups of people that study the Bible and want to be uh, just one group of Christians like uh, we were just talking about and they believe that this program helps us do that so they help us stay on the air. So if you live in one of those towns or close to one of those towns, uh, make the drive in and visit one of those churches of Christ sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Uh, You'll be warmly welcomed. Okay, if you were asked the question, what scripture states that we are not living under the old law but under the new law? And this is probably one of the biggest misunderstandings, basis for many questions that we get on this program. And if you have confusion about this, I'm going to give you a couple verses. But do sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course because the very first lesson helps understand this. But you ask for some specific scriptures, I'll give you two. Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul writes, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And then Paul writing again in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses, and speaking of the trespasses against the law, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he fulfilled all the legal demands so that we might live uh, under the new covenant of grace through Jesus Christ and not be bound by the old law. Hope that helps. All righty. Let's make sure we get our trivia question answered for the day. And it was, how many apostles were there? Toby gave part of it away. He said there were 12 original (laughs) ones, but then there were two others that came later. So a total of 14, 
Matthias and Paul also became apostles. We're glad you've been with us today. We're out of time for questions, but we're going to come back next week and answer some more. So till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.